James chapter 2, if you want to turn in your Bibles there. And you can also find Matthew chapter 25. James 2, Matthew 25. I love the reasoning that we're going to go through today. It's probably, if you have been in church for a while, it's a reasoning and an argument that you've heard before, you've read James before, and you've, you understand what's, what's in front of us, but it's, uh, it's pivotal that we, that we understand what James, James is saying. Tell you what, let's go to God in prayer. Oh, Almighty God, we humbly come before you. You are the uh, source of light. You are our hope. You are our shield. You are like Mount Zion in the midst of us, and you surround us with your grace and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that nothing can come against us, nothing will stand against us, Lord, that uh, you are um, our righteous tower, strong tower, our right defense, Lord, and that in you we have perfect peace. We thank you, Lord, that in you we can overcome this world. You did promise, Jesus, that we would have tribulation, but that we are to be of good cheer because in you there is the victory. And I pray for our brothers and sisters who gather this morning at Emmanuel Church in Charleston. I ask God your mighty hand upon them, and as they gather to honor and glorify you in the midst of this tragedy and circumstances, Lord, as the families are grieving and mourning, I ask the Holy Spirit you would fall in a great way upon them, Lord, a very tangible way, Lord, that they could feel your presence, Lord, that they would have a comfort that could only come from you, Lord. We've experienced that comfort. We know that what that feels like, Lord, and we ask that you would send the great comforter in the midst of them this morning. And for all of us, Lord, that we would come to know you more. I pray for every dad in this room. I ask God that you would set in our hearts um, the things of eternity. And that uh, while an inheritance is important, Lord, we also want to, and more importantly, consider our heritage and and what we're going to pass on spiritually to our, our children. Help us to lead our kids well, Father. Give us that burning desire to rise up and to be the spiritual leaders of our households that you have called us to be, God. Help us to lead rightly, Lord. And where we've fallen short, we know that your grace is there. Thank you. Father, bless this time in your word. Help us to see that there is a left hand and a right hand in walking after you. That is in faith and in work. We love you, we praise you, in Jesus' name, amen. We're picking it up in verse 14, James chapter 2, verse 14. I'll read all of our text and then we'll pull it apart. It says in 14, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or a sister is naked and destitute of daily food, And one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and and filled. You do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God? You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? 
Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then, a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For, also, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And so James is going to take on this giant of a, an issue of the balance between faith and works and what, what each plays a role in the Christian's life. And I want to start off by saying, and it's such a joy for me to say each and every week, that we have to understand that works play absolutely no part in our salvation. The works are, are, are not a part of our salvation. We believe and, and believe wholeheartedly that we are saved by faith alone. It is only by our faith that we are saved. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. Paul's pretty plain. Not of works. Why? Lest anyone should boast. It is not our works that play any part in our salvation. But they are an important part of the Christian life. We are saved by faith alone. Get that in your brain now. If you don't hear anything else to say, I say today, if you check out right now, that's totally cool. Hear this one thing. You are saved by faith alone. Our works do nothing to earn our salvation, but that does not mean we do not work. It is an important part. Going forward, I think it would probably be good to give us a couple working definitions, one of faith, and one of works. What is faith? What is works? What, is, what does he mean? What does James mean when he says these things? Well, simply, faith is believing in and obeying God. Faith is, is you could go to Hebrews 11.1 1 to see a good definition of faith and what have you, but for, just for a working definition today, faith is believing in and obeying God. That's the, the understanding of what faith is. Works is loving God and loving others. As we went through Romans chapter 12, and as I've been saying it ever since, if we could just follow the primary commandment that Jesus gives us, if we could spend our lives focusing on the one thing that he would have us do, we would be doing well. And that is to love God and love others. Love God, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the, the chief commandment that Jesus gave. So that's, we would, that's our definition, our working definition of faith and works. What we're going to see from this text, verses 14 to 26, are four different things in regards to the balance of faith with works. First, faith without works is useless. Faith without works is useless. Second, faith without works cannot save us. Well, Chris, you just said works are part of not a part of salvation. And so now you're saying faith without works cannot save us. I'll unpack it here in a minute. Faith without works is useless. Useless. Faith without works cannot save us. 
Third, faith without works is ineffective. Faith without works is ineffective. And then fourth, probably what you picked up from the text, faith without works is dead. Okay, those are the four things we're going to unpack. First, faith without works is useless. Going back to the top, James chapter 2, verse 14. James asks the question, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? It's an interesting question. He's posing the question here. Hey, what, what benefit is it? What does it profit? Of what benefit is it if someone says he has faith, but he doesn't do anything to show that he has faith? He doesn't back that up with the way that he lives. Can faith save him is what it says in the New King James. I actually like the way the NIV, the NLT, the ESV all translated to say, can that type of faith, can that faith save him? Because what James is saying is that's not really faith. He's saying some people might think to say that they would call themselves a Christian, but they don't live it out. Can that kind of faith save you? To say that you're a Christian, but not actually live it, is that a saving faith? Or is it of any profit? Is there any benefit to it? And then he gives an example in verse 15. It says, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, so they're, they're dead broke. They, they ain't got nothing. No food in the pantry, no clothes to wear. And they come in and asking for something. And one of you says to them, oh, uh, depart in peace. Be warmed and filled. But you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? What a fantastic question. He, he says, oh, what if you just spiritualize and you never actually meet their need? It's like a kick in the teeth. I'm hungry, I'm cold because I don't have any clothes, and you just say, oh, be warm and filled. I hope you find some help. But don't do anything to meet the need. Faith without works is useless. It's no, there's no benefit. It, ha it has no use. It does not profit. Spurgeon said, I'm going to hear Spurgeon a couple times this sermon, the grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. The grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. In other words, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, when we say that we're a Christian, if it doesn't change the way that we live, it's not true faith. It's not a saving faith. It doesn't save my soul. To say that we have faith, but to never demonstrate it in loving others, it profits no one including yourself. The poor man is not ministered to, and the rich man misses the opportunity to be used of God to minister to somebody. It's not of benefit to anyone. Jesus, the half-brother of James, Paul also, they say very similar things, but we're going to look at what Jesus says about it. Turn to Matthew 25 now. These are strong words, words that we need to incorporate and live by in our life. It says in verse 32 of Matthew 25, of a day that I believe is coming very soon, a day when we will all stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords. He says in verse 32, all the nations will be gathered before him and 
He, Jesus, will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous, they're the ones on his right hand, the sheep, the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? king will answer and say to them, Surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then you also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not take me in, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison, and we did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Surely I say to you, and as much as you did, it, did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And so you see, faith is acted out in us loving and caring for people around us, God, who God places in our path in order to bless and care for. One of the joys of me being a father is I have the opportunity to read to my kids. And even though they're older now, KK at 15 and uh, Kindu at 8, you know, I still enjoy reading to them on a regular basis. It's not the, you know, uh, what's the, give a moose a muffin. I'm not reading that anymore. Is that the book, right? <laughs> give, give a moose, I'm not, not reading that so much anymore. But we found this book called Kingdom Tales. And it's a, a, a book of a, a story of a kingdom um, that has, you know, three or four minute, five minute stories in it. And it's just fantastic. The kids love it. And they parallel spiritual truths. And one of the ones I read this week was actually, it was entitled, The Baker Who Loved Bread. And it was talking about this baker who loved to bake bread. He was in the kingdom. The Enchanted Forest is the name of this kingdom that the king rules. And as he was there baking bread, he, had, he, he did it to the best of his ability. He set up a bread complex where he had different ovens and, and, and what have you that would cook at a perfect temperature depending on whether he was baking muffins or you know, loaves of bread or bread to go out to the rangers, those that kept the guard and, and what have you. He loved his job and he took it very, very seriously. He loved that he baked bread for the celebration services for the king. But as he was breaking bread, people would come into the bread complex and people that were ragtag and, and, and in destitute need and, and were, uh, needed something. And he would shoo them away or he would throw stones at them to keep them out. We got to keep the bread complex pure. We got we to gotta make sure that we get everything done. I don't have time to make bread for you. I'm too busy making bread for the king. 
And suddenly word comes in from the rangers that the king has been injured in the forest. And as they drag the king out of the forest, they, they um, bring him to the bread complex, the closest there to the forest, and they begin to minister to him. And, and uh, the woman Mercy comes alongside the king and spends the night administering her her um, healing power to the king. And throughout the night, as the people pray and watch, the king regains his strength. And so the next morning, he, or he rises up out of bed and the baker is, is so relieved that he's alive. And he makes a special loaf for him and gives him the bread. And he says, it's such a joy and an honor for me to, to, to make this bread for you. And then he says to the king, who did this to you? Who who hurt you in this way? Because if I find them, I will take care of it for you. I will make sure that that man is punished. And the king looked at him and he said, it was you. It was you because you didn't take care of the, the, the people that I sent to you. You shooed them away and you didn't offer them bread. And when you do it to them, you do it to me. So as you threw stones at that young boy, I felt the pain. And as you left that young woman and child hungry, I was the one left starving. It was such a powerful image for my kids to see, and I'm just very appropriate that it would land on this week as I was teaching this thing. And Jesus says the exact same thing. If you don't do it under the least of these, or if you do it under the least of these, you do it unto me. And that's what he's saying, that if we don't have a balance, if we don't have works that, that demonstrate our faith, our faith is useless. That's the primary point. The second point, faith without works cannot save us. Interesting. Let's read verse 17, back in James 2. It says, thus also, faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. Someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. James is, James is throwing out the argument here. He knows the audience he's writing to. He's probably thinking of the antagonist in mind. Hey, Bill's going to say, hey, hey Jim's going to say, you have faith, I have works. Well, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there's one God? You do well. But even the demons believe and tremble. Faith without works cannot save us. What am I talking about? Well, here's the idea. Intellectual assent to correct doctrine is not salvation. Say it again, because it's, it's one we got to chew on for a second. Intellectual assent... To correct doctrine is not salvation. Just knowing the proper doctrine does not save us. Why? How do we know that? Because the demons believe, and they ain't saved. In fact, most de all demons have better doctrine than most pastors. They fully understand what's going on in the spiritual realm, and they have a cor more correct doctrine than most of us pastors, present company included. But they are not saved. That does not make them saved. Having correct doctrine does not make you 
saved. Believing in Jesus is, is more than believing that he existed. It's more than believing that he... It's not the same as believing that George Washington existed. Believing in Jesus is not the same as, as understanding that Abraham Lincoln actually lived. There's a different type of belief. We, we know from history, we know that, that you know, Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president, and we know that he, you know, we know his story. We know the uh, abolition of slavery. We know, we know the, the work that he did. We know that he existed. We believe that he existed, but that's different than our faith in Jesus Christ. It is more belief in Jesus Christ is more than an intellectual assent. It's more than just simply understanding that he existed. Living faith, faith that is not dead, living faith results in action, results in works. It results in a demonstration of your faith. You all demonstrated faith this morning as you came in, and I said, please be seated. You demonstrated faith. You have faith in that chair that you're sitting in. You demonstrated the belief that that chair will hold you up. And the way you demonstrated that faith is you sat in the chair. You can say all day long, I believe this chair will hold me. Oh, yeah, it's made of steel. I fully believe. But it's not until you sit in the chair that we know that you, what you say is true. It is in the demonstration of what you say that faith is made alive, that faith is able to be seen. We do fully believe, and I will reiterate again, faith alone saves us. But it's not faith that is alone. Faith alone saves us, but not faith that is alone. It's accompanied by works. Third point, faith without works is ineffective. Faith without works is ineffective. He gives us two examples, Abraham and Rahab. He says in verse 20, But do you not know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? He's calling this argument foolish. That we would live our lives saying that we have faith and not backing it up with works is foolish. Do you want to know, foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? As we brought Kindu home, one of the things that we had this whole language barrier that we had to overcome. Kindu spoke no English when he, uh, when he came into our house. Michelle is gifted in learning languages, thankfully. And so she picked up a little bit of Amharic and was able to teach herself some basic vocabulary so that they could communicate. But as we were teaching him about chores, we taught him that early as he came home that, you know, America isn't about just sitting around and watching TV all day because that's what's portrayed throughout the world. No, we have a life, we have things that we do, we have jobs that you are required to do here in this house. And so we thought rather than just setting him to work by himself, we would pair Kindu up with a different one of the homegrown kids each day that they would work together so he could see that the kids work and that it's not just him working and what have you. 
But to try to explain working together in English to a kid that doesn't understand English was a difficult thing. So one of the words Michelle learned was matababar, right? Matababar. That means work together. And work together. And so we, we, say, we still say that today, even though he knows today what work together means. When, when the kids are button heads, when they're, when they're arguing with one another, when they're not working together, hey, and even to, you know, we'll say it to KK and Lily, matababar, work together. And that's the idea here, is faith is working together with his works. As, as he, they bring up the example of Abraham, you know the story from Genesis that Abraham and his wife Sarah were not able to have kids. It wasn't until past the childbearing years that God then came and promised to Abraham and Sarah, you will have a child. In fact, you'll have so many descendants, they'll be as numerous as the stars in the sky. It was Abraham's faith that was in that moment where he said, God, I believe you. Even though we're past childbearing years, I believe that you will bring this promise to pass. And then it was several years later, it was another 10 years before he had Isaac, and who knows, some would say Isaac was 33 when they actually took him to the mountain, same age as Jesus. It could have been 43 years later that Isaac and Abraham are going up on the mountain, and after Abraham says, or Abraham, God tells Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And what an interesting and powerful picture as Isaac, don't dehumanize that story, which we would want to do. Think about a dad having to take his kid because God told him to kill him. And as they're riding up, and Isaac is riding on the donkey, and he's looking around, and he's going, um, Dad, we, uh, we don't have uh, anything to sacrifice. We don't, there's no... No, there's no sheep here. What does Abraham say? The Lord will provide the sacrifice. Beautiful picture that Jesus himself became the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world on that very same mountain. It's a fantastic picture. But it was in Abraham's willingness and demonstration, the work that he took Isaac up on the mountain, it was in that work that his faith was demonstrated. It was those things working together that was credited to him as righteousness. It wasn't just Abraham saying he believed. It was demonstrating that he believed by his willingness to sacrifice even the promise that God had made to him. And Scripture was fulfilled, it says in 23. Oh, sorry, verse 22. Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? Uh, It was matured, it was made complete, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see, then a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Not necessarily saved by works, that's not what we're trying to save. You're, You're saved by faith alone, but that faith is not alone. It's demonstrated by the way that we live and the things that we do. And then he says in verse 25, Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? You know the story of, the, of Jericho as the spies go in, uh, and, and there, Rahab's there in Jericho. She, she welcomes them into her home to protect them, to save them. And as the, the, the men of Jericho come to 
kill the spies. She lets them out, uh, out her window, and, and they make a deal with her, you know, put the scarlet cord out of your window, and we'll make sure you and all your family, as long as they're in that house, are not harmed when we come to take the city. Beautiful story. James gives us two examples of us that we need to put our faith into action. And when we put our faith into action, we experience a greater depth of our faith. We find, you and I, when we place our faith in action, we find a greater joy when we exercise our faith. It's a a better way of living for the Christian when we put our faith into action. It's kind of like a kid jumping into the pool for the first time, right? For some reason, I think that's primarily the dad's job. I think moms have done it as well, but generally it's one of those things that dad gets into the pool and you've got the toddler, the three-year-old, the four-year-old, depending on when you're getting your kids swimming, standing on the side of the pool, right? And dad's like, come on, jump to me, jump to me, come on. It's going to be fun. You're going to have a great time. And the kid's, you know, shaking and, Dad, come closer, come closer, right? And, they, and, and so you take a step closer and, I'm still, you know, the kid, I'm still scared. What do I do? Come closer. And you're like, I'm touching the side of the pool. I can't get any closer, please. <laughs> Believe me, there is a day coming when I won't be able to get you out of this pool. Uh, you're, I'm going to have to threaten you with bodily harm in order for you to get you out of this pool. Now get in the pool. Same is true of your Christian faith. I don't want, I'm scared to, I'm scared to show it. I'm scared to speak out. I'm scared, I'm scared to live it. I don't know how to, what am I supposed to do? And God's saying, come on, jump in the pool. There's a day coming when you aren't going to want to get out of it because the experience in the pool is far greater than the experience of sitting alongside the pool. It's in the exercise of our faith that it grows, our faith grows deeper and richer and far more fulfilling. I love that James chooses to use Abraham and Rahab. Talk about a contrast. Abraham, the, the man of God, credited to him as righteousness. He was Jewish. He was, well, he wasn't Jewish, but he was made Jewish. He was the, the father of the Jews. He was a, a strong man. And, 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 and then you contrast that with Rahab, a Gentile. In that society in those days, dog, pretty much. That's the way the Jewish nation felt about everybody else around them. A female. You know, the, the females were, had no stature, no status, no position in that society. And a prostitute. Nobody grows up and says, Mom, I want to be a prostitute when I grow up. But Rahab was not doing what she intended to do as she was a little girl. Something had happened in her life that had, had t- taken a bad turn in her life. Couldn't get more diverse Abraham, the strong man of God, the father of the Jews, stood for righteousness. He made some dumb choices early on, giving his wife out, you know, a couple times. But after the promise of God was made to him that he would be the father of many nations, he shaped up and became the strong, righteous man of God. Contrasted with Rahab, who must have had something horrible happen in her life that she ends up being the prostitute living on the wall in a city that's going to be taken by the nation of Israel. But their faith was the same, and it was placed in the same God. 
And it doesn't matter what, what our background is. It doesn't matter if we grew up in church and you know, we, we uh, you know, came out of the womb speaking Bible verses. Or if you were the harlot. Or you've played the harlot. The same faith saves us all. Beautiful picture. All come to God in the same way, by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone. And it's the works of Abraham willing to offer Isaac on the, on the altar, and it's the works of Rahab willing to let the spies down and protect them that demonstrate that they had the exact same faith. It's the way that we grow in the Lord is by exercising our faith. And our fourth point is that faith without works is dead. The last verse there, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. If you want a highlightable verse, uh, a bumper sticker verse, a a coffee mug verse, that would be the one. Um, Put a star by it. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. But you know what? That's not the first time he said it in our text. It's actually the third time. And when the Bible emphasizes a point takes the time to repeat it on valuable papyrus, you know, the papers, parchment papers or whatever, scrolls, if they're willing to waste the ink, quote unquote, to say it three times, it must be important. Faith without works is dead. It said it in verse 17, in verse 20, and here again in verse 26. What's the, what is he saying exactly? And I think hopefully by now you kind of get it. Faith is not faith without works. Faith is not faith without works. It goes hand in hand. I said a few weeks ago, you know, um, Rich Mullins, right? We actually talked, talked about getting Michelle and the girls up and actually doing the song. It's, it was the cup song. You got, everybody knows the cup song these days, right? This was from like 1986. This was before the cup song was popular. But uh, the song, um, Screen Door on a Submarine, Rich Mullen says, faith without works is like a screen door on a submarine. It has absolutely no use and, in fact, hurts the issue. You don't keep water out of a submarine with a screen door, do you? Faith isn't faith without works. Hear this. This is a longer quote from Spurgeon, and I love it. A tree has been planted out into the ground. Now, the source of life to that tree is at the root. Whether it has apples on it or not, the apples would not give it life, but the whole of the life of the tree will come from the root. But if that tree stands in the orchard, when it, when the, and when the springtime comes, there is no bud, And when the summer comes and there is no leafing and no fruit bearing, but the next year and the next year it stands there without bud or blossom, leaf or fruit, you would say it's dead. And you are correct. It is dead. It's not that the leaves could have made it live. And the absence of the leaves is a proof that it is dead. Or sorry, it's not that the leaves could have made it live, but that the absence of the leaves is a proof that it is dead. So too it is with the professor 
the one who professes that they have faith. If he has life, that life must give fruits. If not, if not fruits, then works. If his faith has root, but if there is no works, then, then depend upon it the inference that he is spiritually dead is certainly a correct one. It's not the leaves, it's not the tree or the apples that tell you or that, that make the tree alive. It's the fact that it's connected to the root. But you know the tree is alive by the leaves, by the blossoms, by the fruit. So here's a question for you all. Are you alive? Who in this room is alive? The rest of you? I lost a while ago. (laughs) How do you know? How do you know you're alive? Right. Breathing. I've got a heartbeat. Check my pulse. I can move my arms. I've got my senses working. I see you. I hear you. Hopefully you don't smell me. In other words, there are signs that you're alive. Movement, breathing, heart beating, senses. Is your faith alive? How do you know? What are the signs that your faith is alive? In the same way that you are physically alive and have signs to show you that you're alive, so too we should have signs that show we are spiritually alive alive. Those are our works. You guys probably didn't know this, but there's actually been music playing the entire time we have been talking this morning. I've had this CD player up here, and it's going full blast the entire time that we've been speaking. Anybody recognize that? Anybody see that? No. Why? not plugged in not plugged into anything but as soon as I plug it into the sound system good song that's Jonas Woods by the way that's who's coming July 12th Our lives are saying something. Our faith is, we can say that we're a Christian all day long, but it's not until we plug it into the amplifier of our life that it becomes alive and it can be seen, it can be heard. Not until we connect it. It's not until the, the tree buds and blossoms. It's not until we begin to show fruit that we can say our faith is not dead that we are alive. Amen? Amen. Faith without works. It's ineffective, or it's useless. It does, it's, uh, faith without works cannot save. Faith without works is ineffective. Faith without works is dead. James says, you say you have faith. Show me your faith by what you do. I will show you my faith by what I do. 
Great way to leave the sermon today. Let's live for him. Let's show it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this strong word. And I pray that above the noise of this world and above all that is happening and above even this 45-minute message, the one thing that we've heard today is that we are saved by faith alone. And if there is anybody in this room that does not yet have that faith, that they would make today the day of salvation. They would see their need for a Savior. They would find that, Jesus, you made the perfect sacrifice to take away, uh, to absorb, to pay for our sin, that we can stand before a just God, justified. I'll just say to you, church, if there's anybody here in this room that has not yet placed their faith in Jesus Christ, it is a prayer that opens that door, and I would encourage you after we're done singing that you would come forward and speak to one of the people up front and say, I need to place my faith in Jesus Christ right now. Take that step. Be bold enough to take that step of faith. And Lord, I pray for the rest of us who have done that many years ago, and maybe we just uh, lose sight of all that is our faith. And we get bogged down with the, the weight of this world. And I pray right now we would set those things aside. And we would begin to wholeheartedly live for you. This is not a list of things to do. This is your invitation, Lord, for us just to jump in the pool. For us to fall all the more lo in love with you. And with that growth of love that we have for you, the natural product of that is the fruit which we will bear. So as we sing, I love you, Lord. I pray that we would mean it with all of our heart. You're worthy. You are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.